And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show presented by Tops. Check out Tops Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Tops baseball cards. Thanks for checking us out. If you like the show, make sure you subscribe. Give us a five star rating as well. Tim McMaster here, along with Ken Rosenthal. We're here every Monday on the Athletic Baseball Show. We're answering your questions in the Monday mailbag. The trade deadline is coming fast Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Ken, how you doing? I'm doing well, Tim. How are you? I am good, and I'm probably going to have a slightly less busy week than you are. As we record this episode on Sunday afternoon, things have been pretty slow so far. Now, something could happen between when we're recording and when people listen to this on Monday morning. But so far, Nelson Cruz goes to the Rays. They send Rich Hill to the Mets. But overall, it's been fairly quiet. I want to know, though, is your battery charged up on your phone? And is this the busiest week of the year for you or you know, winter meetings? How does this rank for you? I actually got a new phone about a month ago. And <laughs> You're good. It was just needed because the other one was breaking down. So I got the new phone in time for the deadline. Sure, I'll have it charged. I probably won't move much, honestly. So that's not going to be an issue. And as far as the busiest week of the year, this week and the winter meetings are unique. Now, the winter meetings is actually more difficult physically because I spend a lot of time walking around looking for people and just bouncing with nervous energy. With the deadline, it's more being at home or at MLB Network Studios, texting, emailing, calling, that kind of thing. But yes, in both cases, you don't sleep a whole lot. The other time that's really busy for me is the playoffs. Now, it's a different kind of pressure and environment. Obviously, there's travel involved. There is television involved for me. And then pretty much after every game, I write and stay up really late doing that. Now, it's fun. I thrive on it. I love it. But it's exhausting. And it's just a different kind of busy. But no complaints. This is what we live for. And I'm grateful that I have the job and I'm able to do it. I think people are grateful that you're out there getting the news for them as well. Now, are you more of a texter or a actual talk on the phone guy when you're trying to track down these stories? Ideally, Tim, prefer to talk on the phone, but it's just not realistic. And especially with the people I'm talking to this time of year, everybody's busy. So they're all texting. And the one thing I do at this particular week and actually winter meetings too is when I have my phone, I have it on non-muted as far as the things coming in so I can hear a text at night or I can hear the phone ring at night and especially the last couple of days it's not unusual to have conversations at three in the morning and four in the morning (laughs) it's just the way it goes and that's just 
the nature of the deadline. It gets a little crazy, and it's kind of fun. It's kind of tough, and I'm always happy when it's over. <laughs> but at the same time, I know fans really enjoy it. I know it's really the most interesting time of year in many ways. The one thing that's changed over the years, in my opinion, is that I believe writing and context is more important than ever. And yes, I'll try to break stories on Twitter, and that's fine, and hopefully I will do that once in a while. But that is a fleeting thing. You only control a story for a couple of minutes before others confirm it. But if I can give insight into what might be going on, for instance, with the Rich Hill trade i kind of wrote the day before they might do something like this now now i thought they would do it for financial reasons and we'll get into this but they ended up doing it and today i wrote about the nationals and what they're facing this is sunday that we're talking about so that kind of thing to me is extremely valuable at this time of year because there's so much information and rumor and things going back and forth that sometimes it's hard for me and it's hard for fans to kind of get a gauge on what actually is going on, what it all means. And that ultimately is the job, to tell people or help people understand why teams are doing what they're doing. And we'll try to supply some of that insight on the mailbag here today as well. So let's get right to it. Hey, this is Ken. I'm not available right now. Please leave a voicemail. If you want to get involved next week, which will be post-deadline, so it'll be kind of the aftermath, or you can get your voice on the show, or you can email us. To get your voice on, call 646-543-7072. The email is tabaseballshow at gmail.com. And Ken, you mentioned the Rich Hill trade, and actually we got a question about that, so we might as well start right there. It's from email. It's from Dan Z. He says, the Rich Hill trade made obvious sense for the Mets, but I'm having trouble wrapping my head around it from the Rays' perspective. What am I missing? Well, it's funny. When I wrote about this the other day, and it was the day before the trade was made, a number of fans in the comments section basically said, well, that's not going to happen. That's ridiculous. Rich Hill's really good. The Rays are not going to trade a starting pitcher. Okay, so why'd they do it? A couple of reasons. One and this is the stated reason. They really want to create a regular rotation turn for Luis Patino, 21 years old, who is a guy they got in the Blake Snell trade, and they're really high on. They've got Chris Archer eventually working his way back from a right forearm strain. He's now had three appearances on his rehabilitation assignment, so he'll eventually fit in as well. And they just felt that at this point, they wanted to kind of get those guys better pathways to becoming regular parts of their starting pitching apparatus, so to speak. Now, the other part here, it's interesting. Hill, since the sticky stuff edict came down, or since the warning was first issued, has not been quite as good. Now, is that because he no longer is using sticky stuff? Hard to say, because he had a really good start on June 5th against Texas. Five scoreless innings. That was right after the June 3rd warning was issued and then on june 23rd against the red sox he was really good again the red sox one of the best offenses in the league five innings one run allowed he's had some rocky starts in there as well so is it sticky stuff is it age rich hill is 41 <laughs> could be a number of things so yes the rays are trading him at a moment when his performance had not been as good and maybe they're being really smart there 
They got a player who was a fourth-round pick in the 2020 draft that they liked in this deal, and they're always looking ahead as well. So for all of those reasons, they decided to act. And keep in mind, the starting pitching market is so thin that if you can make a deal for a guy like Rich Hill and you've got enough of a surplus to pull that off, you've got to at least look at it. Incredible that the Rays have the depth of pitching that they're allowed to, that they're able to in the pennant race, right in the thick of things in the American League East, trade away Rich Hill to get other pieces back. That's how this team keeps it going, though, year after year, despite the payroll that they deal with. All right. Uh, another email, this one from Brian Terra. He says, I was wondering if it would have been more worthwhile for the Cubs to keep Darvish until the trade deadline this year and then trade him rather than during the offseason, considering teams are more desperate at the deadline rather than in the offseason, and he's not a one-year rental. It seems like he could have gotten a bigger return right now. I'm a lifelong Cubs fan and didn't think Darvish was going to make the difference on this team anyway. That's a great point. Now, go back to the trade which happened the last week of December and the motivations for it at that time. The Cubs clearly, 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 I cannot say this strongly enough, clearly were trying to cut payroll. And Darvish was step one in that process. Now, the trade that they made ultimately was, from a talent standpoint, kind of a risk. Okay, they got Davies back to replace Darvish in the rotation. And they also acquired a number of minor league prospects at low levels. Guys who have a lot of potential, but are also boomer bust full of risk as well. Could they have made a better deal right now, assuming Darvish was healthy? Yes, I believe they could have, but they wanted to cut payroll, and by keeping Darvish, you ran the risk that he would get hurt and be hurt at the deadline and then untradeable. Remember, there's only one deadline now. This is an important point. It's Friday. There is no August waiver period anymore. That has been eliminated. So if Darvish had somehow come down with something at this point in the season the Cubs would have been stuck and then they wouldn't have gotten anything at all so it's always this risk reward game you play a sliding scale and they decided to act then but you're right had they waited now granted he just had a little stint on the IL but had they waited yes they could have gotten more than they got then in my opinion you mentioned the waiver deadline that we used to have where there was an extra month if you could get a player through waivers to deal them. Do you like it better this way, Ken? Where do you stand on that? Tim, I like it so much better this way, but <laughs> it's easier for solely, you, right? solely for selfish reasons. Yes. <laughs> uh, the August deadline. Now, granted, it was good in the sense that it gave teams that might get hot in August or cold in August the chance to regroup and do some different things. But from purely selfish reasons, that particular period drove me crazy one it was exhausting to kind of pick it back up again after going through it in july and more important the waiver process the secrecy of it and the difficulty in finding out which players were on trade waivers and which ones weren't it was just a pain in the rear so there have been suggestions tim that maybe we should go to august 15th give teams more time to assess where they are and ultimately, that's a decision MLB will have to make. Frankly, I think it's enough time. I think we know who everyone is at this point in the season. But it is tough for teams that maybe get a big injury in August, right? If you have a big injury to a star player on August 20th, you can't regroup. That's a little bit of a challenge, and I can understand why clubs might feel that this system is not necessarily the best one either. 
Yeah, the more teams that are in the playoffs, I guess if they expand a little more, it keeps more teams in the race as well. But I I like the one as well. Um, Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right. First voicemail of the week comes from Jake. Hi, guys. This is Jake in Pittsburgh. What divisional race in each league are you most interested in now? And do you anticipate that answer changing post-deadline? Thanks for the great work. Love the show. Jake, good question. And for lack of a better phrase, a couple other races seem to be pretty much over. The two centrals in particular. I know a lot of people are fascinated by the NL East, and certainly the Mets have not pulled away, which is why the Phillies and the Braves and maybe even the Nationals are emboldened to stay in it, not sell. But the way I look at it, the two most interesting divisions right now are the AL East and the NL West. And the AL East looks like a showdown between Boston and Tampa Bay, two really good teams. The Rays already have added Nelson Cruz and subtracted Rich Hill. I do expect the Red Sox to be active, maybe to add a first baseman and some pitching help. But these two teams I can see certainly battling until the end. And of course, we all know the importance of winning the division in this playoff format and avoiding the wildcard game. Speaking of which, the NL West is fascinating for the exact same reason. Now, you've got the Giants, the Dodgers, and the Padres. Only one of them is going to win the division. The other two most likely will be stuck in the wildcard game. And keep in mind, the wildcard race isn't even all that close. When we recorded this on Sunday, the Padres had a five and a half game lead over the Reds for the second wildcard. That's fairly significant. So these teams, all three of them, are going to be aggressive at the deadline. The Dodgers have to address their starting pitching without Kershaw, without Bauer. The Giants are looking for starting pitching as well, and they've been also linked to the center field market. And the Pods, well, they're capable of anything. A.J. Preller is a general manager. He has pulled off surprise after surprise, and I'm sure will be added again. So that, to me, is the most interesting division in the entire sport. As for whether it will change after the deadline, I don't know that it will. I do expect all the teams I just mentioned, the two in the East, the three in the National League West, to get better. But... That means the division races will be that much more interesting down the line. All right, another team in the American League East is going to get a different kind of lift at the trade deadline. That's our next voicemail. Hey, Ken, this is Scott calling from Vancouver, B.C. Uh, I had a question about uh, what what you think about the Blue Jays finally being able to play back in Canada. Uh, do you think it'll make a big difference in in their uh, push for, for the wild card spot, or, or is it really not going to make 
any any difference. I know we're all excited to have uh, baseball back north of the border again and, and really hoping that it'll, it'll make a difference. Scott, I've written about this and I do believe it will make a difference. How much I can't tell you. Obviously, what would make the biggest difference would be if the Jays could straighten out their bullpen and get their rotation where they want it and still score runs at the pace that they've scored. It's talent that wins. That said, they have been a road team, essentially, for the better part of two seasons now. Last season, they played in Buffalo. This year, in Dunedin in Buffalo. And really, they've been the home team in name, but only in name in those situations when they go back to Toronto playing in front of their fans and almost solely their fans, as opposed to what you saw in Dunedin and Buffalo and road fans were certainly present. Well, that should be energizing to them. Now it's a difficult circumstance having to move your families twice during a season. No one really can even understand that. And I know these guys make a lot of money and it's what people tell me all the time and I get it, but does it make, the life circumstances any easier so yeah i do expect a bit of a bump and it's so cool to me that their first game is going to be friday the day of the trade deadline it's like they're adding another piece their home crowd as well as whatever other pieces they might add to their roster i was talking to caitlin mcgrath our blue jays writer about this and she's excited because she's you know hasn't covered this team in person in so long but she made the point that it's not just like george springer who hasn't played in front of the home fans hyunjin ryu hasn't played a game at rogers center yet and he's been on this team for for two seasons now it is just kind of amazing what they've had to deal with everybody's had to deal with a lot but the blue jays it's kind of been next level and tim as well Vlad guerrero jr right he wasn't this guy when he made his debut a couple of years ago. He now is a superstar, and the Jays fans have not had the opportunity to welcome him as a superstar. Now, just one more point on the crowd and what it can mean. I was talking to J.D. Martinez over the weekend about the difference between 2020 and 21. No fans, fans. Of course, J.D. had other issues too, the lack of in-game video, which he had discussed. But he made a point that I hadn't really considered about fans being in the park. He said last year in big situations, you could hear a pin drop. There were no fans, nothing going on in that regard. This year, the entire dynamic changes. Fans are on top of you. Again, they're screaming. They're yelling. The pitcher tightens up. The hitter focuses more. It's a different dynamic entirely. And now the Jays are going to, in my opinion, again, benefit from that dynamic in a way that they didn't and couldn't in Dunedin and Buffalo. Certainly going to be a party north of the border on Friday. All right, back to email we go. Uh, This one says, hey, Ken, I'm a Cardinals fan. And as you know, us Cardinals fans are very disappointed in our team this year for them not performing well and largely underachieving. Do you see them bouncing back next season if they do not make the playoffs this season? The odds are certainly against them right now. Also, what are some of the pieces you could see them selling off before the trade deadline? Could you see some big moves coming with Schilt, Maddox, or John Mozeliak? I don't see them doing much at the deadline at all. And in fact, John Mozeliak, their GM, has all but signaled that, saying, as far as being a seller, our roster isn't really set up that way. And what he means is the players that they have on expiring contracts, their rental players, are guys that they're not going to trade. They're not trading Yachty. They're not trading Adam Wainwright. I guess they could trade Andrew Miller, who's been better of late. He is a potential free agent. But essentially, 
what they have are a bunch of players who are under control, including Arenado and Goldschmidt. Now, to the second part of the question, the more difficult part, in my opinion, will they be better next year? Well, tell me what they're going to do in the offseason, and I can give you a better answer. And tell me that some of these pitchers who are hurt are going to be back and healthy. Remember, they're without Flaherty, Michaelis, Hudson, and the reliever, Jordan Hicks. And they've been without these guys for much of the season. So that's been a big part of why they have struggled. But the real issue is their offense, in my opinion. And it's been the issue. And even after getting Arnado, it's still the issue. They are 26th entering Sunday in runs per game, 26th in scoring. Now, I know the Mets are 27th, but they've pitched really well. The Cardinals thought with Arnado it was going to somewhat solve the problem. They thought their young outfielders would develop, which actually has taken place. O'Neill has become something of a star. Carlson looks like a really good player. But they've been without Bader at times. Arnado and Goldschmidt have been okay, but not great. Entering Sunday, they were the Cardinals. 10th in the league in OPS, the majors, at third base, 11th at first base. That's not elite territory for either Arenado or Goldschmidt. So they need another bat. Maybe they need to find some other construction as well. Maybe it's more than one bat. Maybe they need to do some things. The guy I would look at probably is Paul DeYoung. Looking at his second straight sub-700 OPS, and that's a position where there's going to be plenty of action this offseason, shortstop. Problem there is DeYoung is signed through 23 with options through 25. So I don't know exactly what they would do with him. One problem this team has had, a lot of bad contracts over the years. In the last several years under Mazalak, they've missed quite a bit. So it's going to be an interesting offseason for them. And it's going to be one that kind of is a crossroads offseason. Because in some ways, it's now or never. They have to start putting a better team on the field or a more competitive team than they've been this year and even last year, or else there's going to be some heat on there. All right, the next question is a voicemail, and it comes about a team that's been really a pleasant surprise lately. My name's Sean. I'm from Nashville, Tennessee. I'm a huge Detroit Tigers fan since I was a little kid. I think most conventional wisdom would have them as sellers right now. I would actually go the opposite. I think they have a variety of young stars, young arms, and with A.J. Hinch's leadership, lead the American League in stolen bases this year, and I love the pieces that they have in place. If anything, I think they should extend scope and keep the good players that they have, maybe make some upgrades in the bullpen, and take a big swing this offseason. Curious to see if you agree. Thank you for all you do for the game. We all love the show. I do agree, Sean, and the Tigers indeed have been a really pleasant surprise. They came out of the break, won seven straight games, their young pitching, Mize and Scooble, have really emerged. They need Manning to take that next step, too. Remember, they've got a number of pitchers on the injured list. Boyd and Tehran and, of course, Turnbull had the Tommy John. So they're coming, and they're coming in a good way. I don't expect them to sell. Scope is really their only guy. Maybe some of the relievers as well. They could do that. I would always trade a reliever outside of the very, very best guys. But the good news is... This offseason, I expect them to take a step forward. I expect them to be active and another one of the surprise teams, Seattle, to be very active because these teams are getting closer. And in the case of the Tigers, they're not in a especially strong division. Yes, the White Sox are good, but the Twins are in kind of a state of flux. The Indians are always challenged financially. The Royals are still some time away from being the team they want to be. 
So yes, it's time for the Tigers to do some things, and they could get really active in the shortstop market. That's something that they could use, and I expect them to spend in other areas as well. When you get injured, you don't want to wait for answers and options. That's why it may be time to explore the Nano Experience, a revolutionary treatment option designed to help active people get back to the lifestyles they love. Nanotechnology allows surgeons to see inside even the smallest joints and treat orthopedic conditions with a tiny camera and other nano instrumentation, all through a barely there poke hole incision. Wherever you've experienced an injury, whether it be foot and ankle, hand and wrist, shoulder and elbow, knee or hip, nanoarthroscopy can be used to diagnose and treat your condition in an extremely minimally invasive way. Don't wait to learn about the revolutionary nano experience and how it could help you or someone you know after an injury. Visit arthrex.info slash the athletic. This is not medical advice and is not meant to be a substitute for advice from your physician. Talk with your physician about your health condition, potential surgical risks, and whether Arthrex products are right for you. Postoperative management is patient specific and dependent upon your physician's assessment. Individual results will vary. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, the next voicemail from another fan who wouldn't mind his team actually selling this deadline. Hey, Ken, this is Colin Roach in Houston, Texas. Got a question about the Rangers. Will the Rangers actually be sellers at this deadline? We've seen the team, despite its struggles in recent years, kind of toe the line, hold on to some of their better pieces at the deadline. Will they go all out and sell this year? Will we see guys like Gallo, like Kyle Gibson on the boot? Colin, my inclination is to say yes. And it certainly seems like they're headed down that road. They're clearly willing to trade Gallo, to trade Kyle Gibson, and to trade Ian Kennedy. Problem is, going into Sunday, those guys each have kind of either slumped or disappeared. In Gibson's case, he slumped. 7.79 ERA, last three starts. Kind of reinforcing all of his critics who thought that his first half was a bit of a mirage. He's a guy that, yes, still could command something. They're not going to sign him to an extension. He's on a reasonable $7 million salary for next season. So definitely I could see teams having interest, but maybe not the kind of interest that's going to get the Rangers, I don't know, a top 100 prospect. Probably not. Gallo is the really intriguing one. Now, the Rangers have been talking about an extension with him, but he's represented by Scott Boris. We all know Scott Boris wants his guys out on the open market. That's where you get your highest value, negotiating with 30 teams rather than just one. So, okay, my guess is they don't get Gallo done on an extension. And the question then becomes, will they get an offer that meets their threshold? Crosses that line where they say, okay, that's enough. We can do this deal and feel comfortable about it or good about it, knowing that Joey Gallo is not only under control for this year, but next year, and we're losing him. It seems to me that deal should be out there. He is one of the most intriguing players on the market. I know he has slumped coming out of the break, two for 25 going into Sunday, didn't start Saturday, but he's a left-handed hitter. Hello, Yankees. He's really good defender, versatile, athletic. He's got the extra year of control. 
he is someone that, in my view, a team like the Rangers should take advantage of. They're not going to win next year. There's no guarantee of keeping Gallo. Let's go. Ian Kennedy, yeah, he probably will go, maybe not for a whole lot. He hasn't pitched a lot lately because they've lost 11 straight games, but 15 for 16 in save opportunities entering Sunday. So I would expect him to go. But to answer your question, to get back to the beginning, should they sell all three guys? Yes, they probably should. Gallo at Yankee Stadium is a little bit scary for sure. Um, So Gallo in the Rangers, you mentioned them. They'd love to extend him. You think of Byron Buxton. The Twins would like to extend him. How long into this week can a team kind of push those negotiations before deciding, kind of flipping and deciding to definitely make a trade? Are they having all those conversations at once? Yes, these conversations are taking place all at once. Teams are operating on parallel paths. And yeah, you can talk to a Joey Gallo or a Byron Buxton and at the same time gauge the trade market for not just those players, but others. So it's a delicate balance. And at some point, obviously, the extension discussions have to end and the trade discussions take precedence. But I'm not sure we get to that point necessarily right away. All right. One last voicemail. And this one comes from New York. Hello, Ken. My name is Frank, and I am on my way to City Field to celebrate my buddy's 30th birthday. Which World Series defeat shocked you more? When the Yankees lost to the Diamondbacks or when the Mets lost to the Royals? And a bonus question, which team do you think is more likely to make it to the World Series this year? The Yankees? Or the Mets. Frank, this is not even <laughs> close. The Yankees lost to the Diamondbacks in 2001 was definitely more shocking. And if you go back and remember, the Yankees had won three straight World Series for the last five. And going into that World Series, they were the team with the better regular season record. They had won 95 games. The Diamondbacks had won 92. Of course, the Diamondbacks had Schilling and Johnson, so no one was saying this was going to be easy. But When the Diamondbacks won that series, and of course that was against the backdrop of 9-11, and that is what made that series for me so memorable, it was not something that anyone really expected, especially when it ended with Mariano Rivera getting beat on a broken bat single by Luis Gonzalez. It was just a shocking turn of events. So while the Diamondbacks were really good and they had two Hall of Fame or potential Hall of Fame pitchers on their staff, that was a stunner. The 2015 World Series, in my view, was not an upset at all. The Royals had been to the World Series the year before, gone to seven games against the Giants, and if not for Madison Bumgarner's heroics out of the bullpen in Game 7, maybe the Royals would have won that World Series. But going into the next season, they were certainly a highly regarded team. They win 95 games in 2015. The Mets win 90. So I would say, I don't recall exactly, but they were certainly favorites in that World Series, and a team that I don't know that I was surprised at all to see win in that particular instance. All right, great questions again this week. If you want to get involved next week, we'd love to hear your voice. So use the voicemail line 646-543-7072. The email is tabaseballshow at gmail.com. Ken, Friday's the deadline, and then I assume you're heading somewhere. Where are you next week? Actually, I'm heading nowhere. Because usually, Tim, I travel on Friday to the site of our broadcast on Saturday. So what I will do next weekend 
after I pick myself <laughs> off the floor Saturday morning, if if Fox wants me to, I will go to a studio somewhere to do some kind of recap. But I'm not even sure how that's all going to work yet. All right. Well, rest up as much as you can. Keep that battery charged. And we look forward to all your reporting all week long. Thank you, Tim. All right, keep it locked to the Athletic Baseball Show all week long as well. Of course, Starkville coming up on Tuesday. Thursday is the Baseball Barista with Hunter Pence and Grant Brisby. And then coming up on Friday, tune in at 4 Eastern time. We're going to stream. It'll be DVR and Keith Law, our normal Friday show, but streaming live on YouTube. That's coming up at 4 Eastern time, right when the deadline strikes. They'll have a full recap, and there'll probably be some news trickling through in those first 30 minutes or so as well. So you definitely want to check that out on the Athletics YouTube page coming up on Friday. If you want to save 33% on a subscription to The Athletic, go to theathletic.com slash baseball show to save for that. For Ken Rosenthal, I'm Tim McMaster. Have a great week, everyone. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.